Hotep, how's everybody doing today? Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network and host of the African History Network show. And here is our audio podcast of our show from Sunday, March 25th, 2018 on 9:10 a.m. the Superstation in Detroit. 9:10 a.m. the Superstation WFDF. The show airs live 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Sunday. You can visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com to see how to tune in live. We also broadcast on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. So be sure to follow us on our Facebook fan page. And the um, broad, the video broadcast uh, from last night is there as well. You can uh, click on the video section of our Facebook fan page to check that out. OK. All right. So. Before we get to last night's audio broadcast, uh, audio podcast, just a few very quick announcements. And I ran out of time last night. We only have two hours on the show. So I ran out of time. So the additional topics that I could not get to, um, I'm going to do a separate uh, audio podcast and Facebook live broadcast uh, sometime uh, Monday March 26, 2018. And in that part two broadcast, we'll talk about African-American women celebrate the legacy of Harriet Tubman by walking 100 miles along the historic Underground Railroad. We'll talk about how Namibia, the African nation of Namibia, gained its independence from South Africa in 1990. And we'll talk about uh, the Sharpville Massacre of 1960 in uh, South Africa, where you had six, uh, 69 black South Africans killed. OK, so that's going to be in a uh, separate audio podcast. We just ran out of time. All right. But a few very quick announcements. Those in the Detroit area. I want to let you know that I will be speaking in Detroit Tuesday, March 27th, Tuesday, March 27th. Um, it's at an event 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. on Tuesday, March 27th. 2018 is going to take place at 1420 Washington Boulevard in downtown Detroit. 1420 Washington Boulevard, Detroit, Michigan. Okay, uh, this is a free event open to the public. The, uh, this is uh, put on by Detroit Cares Mentoring Movement. This is their March Mentor Madness Mixer. Detroit Cares Mentoring Movement. This is their March Mentor Madness Mixer. And this month's theme is heritage, and uh, the featured speaker is myself, Michael M. Hotel, uh, host of the African History Network show. Okay, so uh, they want you to RSVP for this so they could get some type of accurate headcount. Go to eventbrite.com, B-R-I-T-E, eventbrite.com, and just search for Detroit Cares, Detroit Cares, and you'll see it there. Uh, you can register. It's free. Only takes a couple minutes to register. Uh, also, we'll get this information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. So, hope to see everybody in the Detroit area. We'll have my have a table for my DVDs there, and my presentation uh, will be on Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. Uh, the Mothers of Civilization. I'll be speaking for about 30 minutes. That full four-hour presentation is on DVD at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Secondly, uh, Saturday, March 31st, uh, 2018, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. 
Eastern Standard Time. I'll be doing my online class uh, dealing with the film Black Panther and analysis of the film Black Panther, the cultural influences, African history, and a lot more. Okay, uh, it's only ten dollars to register for that online class. You can watch it over and over again. Visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com to register today. As soon as you register, there's a video that you can already start watching dealing with uh, Black Panther, and we have a uh, an online six course bundle pack of my online courses that you can order as well for $80, regularly $120, and it includes the Black Panther online class. The other five classes are on demand, so you can start watching as soon as you register. That's also at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and that uh, six-course uh, six bundle includes Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, the third thing, third announcement is that I will be in Baltimore uh, the weekend of Saturday, April 7th and Sunday, April 8th. I will be uh, doing two workshops at the 16th Annual Baltimore Natural Hair Care Expo. The 16th Annual Baltimore Natural Hair Care Expo, which will take place at the UMBC Event Center. The UMBC Event Center, 1000 Hilltop Circle. Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. Um, I'll be doing two workshops, uh, one each day dealing with the great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. This year's uh, special uh, guest, uh, the special guest speaker is Jennifer Lewis, actress, leg legendary actress Jennifer Lewis from the ABC uh, TV show Blackish. Okay. And also model Bianca Golden. Uh, will be there as well speaking. Okay. Uh, visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com for more information as well as NaturalHairCareExpo.com, NaturalHairCareExpo.com. Tickets are uh, $20 a day. That gives you access to most of the workshops. My workshop will be free. Uh, my workshop is included in the $20 admission, so you don't have to pay extra to come to my workshops. Okay. Uh, also, uh, we have a new sponsor for our audio podcast. It's Legacy Kits by Ignis. Legacy Kits by Ignis. Uh, they are an African-American-owned business that provides African-American and African history curriculum for school-aged children. African-American and African history curriculum for school-aged children. Hey, visit their website for more information and to get uh, their, uh, their kits that they have at LegacyKitsByIgnis.com. Legacy kits by Ignis.com. Okay. And lastly, if you want to advertise with the African History Network, email us at info, info at African History Network.com. Info at African History Network.com. We reach, we have a million followers on our Facebook fan page. We reach thousands of people uh, each week with our uh, podcast also. Okay. So, uh, uh, with that being said, here is the audio podcast from our Sunday night show, Sunday, March 25th, 2018. Brother Michael M. Hotel. Today is Sunday, March 25th, 2018, and we are live tonight. We have a lot to talk about, a lot going on. Some people saw the Stormy Daniels interview on 60 Minutes, and uh, the uh, weather forecast for Donald Trump is stormy weather. <laughs> That's the weather forecast of Donald Trump. <laughs> I wonder if he's uh, already tweeting about it. I wonder what Melania was doing when the uh, <laughs> when the when it aired when the interview aired. I wonder what kind of looks Melania was giving Trump. 
All right, so we have a lot to talk about tonight. Um, we know that uh, the film Black Panther uh, is the U.S. highest grossing superhero film of all time. That was solidified this week. We'll talk a little bit about that. Also, unrest continues in Sacramento behind the um, unjust killing, it appears, of Stephen Clark, 22-year-old African-American man who was killed and is shot and killed by police in his uh, grandmother's backyard. I've read some interesting articles about that uh, uh, this morning on uh, Politics Nation with Reverend Al Sharpton. They talked about it uh, as well. So we're going to share uh, that segment with them, uh, with you because he had uh, a couple of attorneys on. Okay, so that's extremely important. And uh, there was a good article from TheRoot.com, TheRoot.com, uh, which dealt with um, why... Um, dealt with the phrase, why didn't he just comply? Why he should have just complied does not apply to Stephen Clark. Why he should have just applied does not apply to Stephen Clark. Um, you got good reporting coming out of uh, um, also the Los Angeles Times. You got good reporting coming out of the Los Angeles Times as well uh, on this. And this story is not going anywhere either uh, as well. So uh, is something that we should definitely follow. You have protests uh, outside the Sacramento Kings, uh, Black Lives Matter led a protest outside the Sacramento Kings Stadium uh, on Thursday, okay, to draw attention uh, to what's going on. And the story kept changing that the police were telling about the killing. The story kept changing about uh, what the police were telling, okay. Whether he had a gun, whether he had a toolbar, come to find out he had a cell phone. Okay? So this is, uh, I mean, this is uh, once again another tragedy. So we'll talk some about uh, Stephen Clark. Uh, also, the March for Our Lives took place yesterday, Washington, D.C., across the country. And on six out of seven continents, the March for Our Lives took place. You had 800 protests around the world, most of them in the U.S. 800,000 people showed up in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. I watched uh, the coverage live, watched the pre-coverage, watched it live yesterday, tweeted about it, posted on Facebook about it um, a lot, okay? Uh, so we'll talk some about that. You had uh, African-American students who were there. They were talking about their fear of being shot in the classroom, their fear of being shot on the way to school, their fear of being shot uh, in their communities. A lot of people talk about, well, what about Chicago? What about Chicago? Well, Chicago youth were there. They talked about why they were there. They talked about the violence they deal with and the potential of violence they deal with on a daily basis. Uh, African-American youth were there. They were talking about the violence they deal with in their communities. They talked about how long, uh, for, for a long time, uh, the, the gun violence in the African-American community uh, did, did, was not talked about on a national platform from the perspective of trying to address the issue and correct the issue, not speaking from a platform of saying there's a pathology in the African-American community. This is why you have this gun violence, because you have gun violence in the white community. Actually, there's more gun violence in the white community than in the African-American community, if you actually look at statistics, if you actually look at the data, not the television, but the data. Now, when you look at the television, it makes you think, oftentimes, it makes you think that the gun violence is just in the African-American community. No, it's in the white community also. 
it's just that the producers of the local news shows tend to cover the violence in the African-American community more than they do in the white community. Oh, no, it's in the white community also. They're killing each other as well. So we'll talk some about that. We have some clips uh, from some of the activists. Some people said, why are those black students there? Well, it was organized by the Parkland, uh, uh, the Parkland students from uh, the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School where the attack took place February 14th. 25% of that school population is African-American. They were traumatized also. You heard Alana, uh, Alea Eastman talk about how she hid underneath the dead body of one of her friends and played dead, and she said that saved her life. So the African-American students who went through the trauma are not supposed to be there, but the white students who went through the trauma, can't, it's all right for them to be there. That's stupid as hell. That's ridiculous. And see, one of the, one of the things that the, that the youth were saying is that the adults are not listening to us. It's not just the politicians. A lot of the adults are not listening to us. A lot, a lot of African-American uh, adults are not listening to African-American children crying out for help. I mean, that's, that, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I don't care who doesn't like what I'm saying. A lot of African-American youth are crying out because African-American adults are not listening to the trauma that they're going through. They're trying to tell them, oh, school shootings don't affect black people. You haven't studied the statistics on that? That's not what the data says. We'll talk about that some tonight also. Because I don't deal with opinions. I deal with facts and evidence. You have to listen to somebody else's show for opinion. I deal with facts and evidence. Proper documentation ends all conversation. So we'll talk about that. You may want to read the article from Washington, uh, from uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com, March 3rd, 2015. Nine facts that show white-on-white -white crime far exceeds black-on-black -black crime and how media outlets conceal it. You may want to read that article. You may want to look at number seven that deals with how gang violence, gang homicides are worse in the white community. They looked at from 1980 to 2008. You've heard me talk about this before when I was on Spud's show a few weeks ago. I talked about this. When gang-related killings are referred to on the news, they treat it as an almost exclusively black problem. However, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, that's a government entity, the Bureau of Justice Statistics, for the period of 1980 to 2008, a majority, 53.3% of gang homicides were committed by white offenders. Uh-oh. You mean white people have gangs? You mean, wait a second. You mean to tell me that white people have gangs and they commit gang homicides? And the majority of gang homicide victims, 56.5%, were white. Wait a second. You mean to tell me, why don't we, why don't we see about the, 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 the drive-bys in the white community on, on, on the news like we do in the African-American community? And the gang-related violence, the gang-related homicides. Why don't we see a lot about that? Because if you go back and look at the article and the study from colorchange.org that I talked about, uh, actually, the one from uh, 2015, uh, uh, how, news outlet, uh, uh, how news outlets convince you that most criminals are black. Thinkprogress.org, March 2015, how news outlets convince you that most criminals are black. You read that article and read that study. It was a study of national, uh, it, was a, it was a nationwide study of local news stations. And they dealt with how the local news stations disproportionately show 
stories where African Americans are the assailant. They're the criminals, things like that. It, 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 it is disproportionate based upon the crimes that we commit, disproportionate based upon the arrest of African Americans, and, and sometimes disproportionate based upon the population, okay, in that particular city. This was three years ago. ThinkProgress.org, how news outlets convince you that most criminals are black. Very, very interesting article. See, when you deal with the facts and evidence, that's different than the perception. So the name of that study from the Bureau of Justice Statistics is called Homicide, Homicide Trends in the U.S. 1980 to 2008. Read, it's a 36-page study. I went through and read it. Read page 12, table number 7. It'll blow your mind. See, the, the data is different than the perception. So we'll talk some about that, dispel some myths once again. And uh, we saw that black lives killed from gun violence were not forgotten at the March for Our Lives protest. So we talked about that. Well, uh, well, I mentioned that. Then also, last week, we ran out of time. We had a lot of callers. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with the callers calling in. Enjoy that. But uh, there was a story uh, I wanted to talk about last week and the week before. <laughs> and then get a chance to talk about it. African-American women celebrated the legacy of Harriet Tubman by walking 100 miles along the historic Underground Railroad. This is, this is a fantastic story. Okay, Essence.com had an article about this. Uh, Blavity.com as well. Uh, so we'll talk uh, about that. And then this, this past week we had the anniversary of uh, the African nation of Namibia gaining its independence from South Africa in 1990. We'll talk uh, about that a little bit. And then also, uh, this past week was also the anniversary of the Sharpville Massacre of 1960 in South Africa, where you had 69 uh, black South Africans uh, who were killed, okay, it was during the protests, okay, they were killed. So we'll talk some about that as well. All right, um, so on the African History Network, we focus, uh, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating empowering and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the rays of a man's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Hey, I'm speaking at uh, this, uh, this was it, Tuesday, March 27th, uh, 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Uh, there's an event at 1420 Washington Boulevard. 1420 Washington Boulevard in downtown Detroit. Uh, this is an event uh, organized by New Way Ford Mentor Mixer, uh, New Way Ford Mentor Mixer Series. And um, I'll be dealing with great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. This is free and open to the public. We'll uh, have the information on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Hey, you listen to the African History Network show on 9, 10 a.m., the Super Space in the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. If you're looking for a curriculum for African-American children to teach them their history, then look no further than Legacy Kits by Ignis.
Legacy Kits by Ignis is an African-American-owned business that provides African-American and African history curriculum for school-aged children. Their goal is to teach children about their strong history, which is not taught in schools across America. Legacy Kits provide a hands-on learning experience that children love. Each kit contains a workbook, two history books, and two projects. They make it easy for busy parents like you. Subscribe today to receive a monthly package filled with the rich heritage of African people. Teach your children about their history. For more information and to sign up, visit Legacy Kits by Ignis, I-G-N-I-S, LegacyKitsByIgnis.com. Visit them today. Follow them on social media and sign up to receive their emails for special discounts. Remember, right knowledge corrects wrong behavior. Hello, everyone. This is Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network and host of the African History Network show. It's African American History Month once again, and this is a perfect time to register for our online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, What They Didn't Teach You in School. This is a 14-hour course broken up into seven sessions. It's all pre-recorded, so it's all on demand. The entire course is pre-recorded and on demand, and it also includes about 20 hours of bonus content. So as soon as you register, you can start watching immediately. This online course is on sale for only $50. It's taught by myself, Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network. And when we discuss the transatlantic slave trade, we have to understand that African people are the original people of North, Central, and South America, and have been in the U.S. for at least 51 700 years. We can't start studying our history of slavery, even when we study the transatlantic slave trade, which is important to study. We cannot start in 1619 or in the 1440s when the Portuguese get involved. We have to understand the history chronologically and deal with the 800-year occupation of the Africans known as the Moors, who enter into the Iberian Peninsula, today known as Spain and Portugal, from North Africa in 711 AD. This course not only deals with the slave trade, but thousands of years of history that leads up to the transatlantic slave trade of African people taking place. You can register for this course at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com is right on the homepage of our website. It's all on demand. I do a PowerPoint presentation, video clips, numerous references, so you can start watching as soon as you register. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Mahala, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they did teach in the school. All right, welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, Superstation, the future radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. Thanks to everybody who came out, uh, what day was that? Thursday, uh, March 22nd at Wayne State University. Um, uh, Sister Jasmine asked me to speak for her organization called Rose. And they showed a documentary uh, at the planet at Wayne State's planetarium. There's a planetarium in, inside the basement of the old main building, uh, 480 West Hancock. Uh, corner of Warren and, uh, was that Warren and Cass? It's the corner of, if I remember correctly. And um, 
was a documentary called Stars of the Pharaohs, Stars of the Pharaohs, okay, and it dealt with uh, ancient Egypt, ancient Kemet astronomy, things like that, and I talked um, a little bit about that information, but talk about the uh, analysis of the film Black Panther, talk about the African cultural influence in the film Black Panther, dealt with some African history, uh, things like that, so people really enjoyed it, so thanks to everybody who came out uh, for that uh, event, okay, all right. So, uh, once again, I'll be speaking at uh, this uh, uh, Tuesday, March uh, 27th. Uh, the event is 6 p.m. to uh, 7.30 p.m., 1420 Washington Boulevard in Detroit. 1420 Washington Boulevard in Detroit. It's free and open to the public. Uh, it's organized by New Way Forward Mentor Mixer Series. New Way Forward Mentor Mixer Series. They deal with mentoring. Uh, especially for African-American uh, youth, and they asked me to speak, uh, Sharon asked me to speak, and so uh, my presentation will be on Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization, Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization, okay, we'll have more information at uh, our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, uh, about that, all right, okay, so, uh, the, the protests going on in Sacramento, uh, behind the killing of Stephen Clark. You've seen a lot of articles written about it. Uh, there was um, uh, Los Angeles Times um, has a good article from uh, March 24, 2018. Also read one from um, Washington Post as well. But uh, angry protests continued into the wee hours uh, Saturday morning, uh, March 24th. On the streets of Sacramento, over the shooting of unarmed um, African-American man, 22-year-old uh, Stephen uh, Clark, uh, by police. Now, protests began on Friday, uh, March 23rd, at the state capitol and continued into the streets of downtown, with marchers briefly blocking both lanes of traffic uh, on Interstate 5. Uh, demonstrators and police officers clashed in South Sacramento uh, on Friday night as well, and video showed protesters surrounding, kicking, and climbing on top of a police car. Now, another video from early uh, Saturday, uh, sorry, another video from early Saturday morning showed a tense standoff between protesters and a line of police in riot gear. Now, it was uh, last week. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it, it was the latest in a week of unrest over the death of Stephen Clark, who was uh, shot, he was shot at 20 times by police. He wasn't shot 20 times. I saw one article from somewhere that said he was shot 20 times. He was shot at 20 times. I'm not, I'm just trying to be accurate. I'm not trying to say, well, it's not as bad because he wasn't shot 20 times. No, he's dead. I'm just saying he wasn't shot 20 times, okay? So he was shot at 20 times by police in the backyard of the home where he lived with his grandparents. Now, police said they believed he had a gun, believed, quote-unquote, believed he had a gun, but authorities recovered only a cell phone near his body. Now, if you read the article from BlackAmericaWeb.com um, about the commentary from uh, Sean King, Sean King this past week, he talked about how the story kept changing from the police about what he, you know, what he had, whether he had a toolbar, whether he had a gun, oh, he just has a cell phone, all right? So, 
Uh, now, on Friday, protesters held up their fists uh, in a moment of silence. They denounced the killing of young uh, uh, African Americans at the hands of police and the mainstream media for uh, what they said was unfair news coverage of shooting victims who are minorities or not white. Now, some in the crowd had gone to school with uh, Stephen Clark and remembered him as a good father and a loyal friend. Former classmates uh, Krishala Treadwell, who's 23 years old, and Dominique Rodriguez, 22 years old, took the day off from their jobs as health care workers to join the demonstration. They wore uh, black shirts with uh, Clark's photo uh, and bold red block, uh, block lettering that read, Long Live Zoe, Z-O-E. Uh, now, Dominique Rodriguez said, we had to be here. He was like family. It would be wrong if we weren't. Now, Krishala Treadwell said she had been shocked and heartbroken to hear the news of Stephen Clark's killing. She said he was always smiling. We never saw him mad. Now, Elijah Johnson, 24 years old, said he was disturbed to learn that Stephen Clark had been killed in his own backyard 15 minutes away from Elijah Johnson's home. Elijah Johnson said, when you hear, when you hear, you think, man, that could have been me. That could have been my brother. That could have been my sister. He said, you hurt. Now, a petition circulating on the colorofchange.org uh, website Friday demanded that Sacramento County District Attorney Ann Marie Schubert uh, bring charges against the officers who shot Stephen Clark. Sacramento Mayor, Mayor Daryl Steinberg was more reserved, saying the department should consider increasing its use of less than lethal weapons. But he did not fault the officers involved in Clark's shooting. He expressed concern about demonstrators resorting to vandalism or violence. Uh, Mayor Steinberg said, that's not right. Strength is in peaceful resistance. He said in the interview on Friday, putting his hands over his face, he said, there has to be a better way. Now, Mayor Steinberg said that Stephen Clark's death, though still under investigation, quote unquote, was wrong, and points to the need not only for more administrative change, but also a reckoning with racism itself. Okay, so uh, article goes on to uh, quote Diane Gomez, a city resident who brought a handwritten placard uh, that read, we have to stand up for our children. Where was his constitutional right to due process? Mayor Steinberg said, our kids and men don't feel safe. Uh, he added, and he, uh, he welcomed the spotlight uh, the spotlight on the city uh, that the city is now under. He said there is no danger if we do the right thing, if we push aggressively to change what must be changed. Now recordings released by the police department include a 911 call about a man in a black hoodie breaking car rent windows Sunday night. The man, quote, busted both truck windows out and he's in people's backyards right now, end quote, the caller said the person who made this call to police to report them seeing somebody breaking out uh, truck windows. Now at about 9.25 p.m., officers in a sheriff's helicopter spotted a man who they said had picked up a quote-unquote toolbar 
and broken a house window. Now, video from the helicopter appears to show Stephen Clark scaling a tall fence and peering into a vehicle before running into his own backyard. Now, shaky body cam footage shows officers running up a driveway, up, running up a dark driveway. Quote, hey, show me your hands. Stop, stop. End quote, one officer yells. They turn a corner and spot Stephen Clark in the glare of their flashlights. Then they take cover behind a building before confronting him once more and firing a barrage of bullets at him. Now, when you read the reports of this, they don't identify themselves as police. It's dark, and they're shining flashlights on them. So if you've ever been in the dark, had a flashlight shined on you, you can't see what's on the other side of that flashlight. They didn't identify themselves as police. Now, also, uh, when you delve into the story, you hear one, oh, so there's body camera footage that's been released. You hear one officer tell the other one, mute, and then the sound goes out on the body cams. Interesting. I just, you know. Not a, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's interesting. You said mute, all of a sudden the sound goes out. How, what, is the body cam is the, is the body cam on voice command now? Is that what that is? Interesting. Let's go to Alan, line one. Hey, Alan, thanks for holding. Welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. All right, Detroit, go ahead. Hey, Mod Hotel. Uh, Brother Mike. Yes, sir. I want to ask you a question. Go ahead. With HR 1242. HR House Resolution 1242. Yes, sir. Not offhand. What is it? What is it called besides the numbers? That's it. Oh, okay. Yes, what, what, what? What about it? When did it come out? When was it issued? Or when did it pass? January. January. It was passed. January 2018. Yes, sir. Okay. What? What? What does it say? It's a commission that has been created by this bill to commemorate and study the 400 years of African-American history of slavery. Mm -hmm. And this commission's activities will be to do research on the effects of this. But they're calling it 400 years starting with 1619, mm -hmm. according to their story when the first Africans were brought to the United States as, what is what is the United States, as slaves. Mm -hmm. 2019 is 400 years. So are they saying that we are now presently slaves? No, what they want to do is, if you go back and look at uh, House Resolution 192 from the 110th Congress, July 29, 2008, that was uh, an official apology for slavery, but if you actually read it, what they did was, if you actually read it, what they did was they talked about the legacy of slavery and how it still impacts African Americans up to today, the discrimination, the racism, job discrimination, wealth gap, things like that. So what this one is saying here, and I'm looking at it at congress.gov, which is the official website of the House of Representatives, congress.gov, House H.R. 1242, 115 Congress, 2017-2018, what they're probably looking at is, see, anytime you talk about restitution for slavery, you have to also tie in how slavery negatively impacts, the legacy of slavery negatively impacts African Americans today. 
what, what, what happens is oftentimes is that people talk about the 246 years of slavery and don't bring up how the, the maldistribution of wealth, power, resources that exist today is tied to that history of slavery. So they're looking at it all together and showing how and, and, and making the argument that African Americans are negatively, just, just, just one second, just one second, they're making the argument that African Americans are still negatively impacted by the legacy of slavery today. And that's, and they're saying this is, so this is why this study is looking at 400 years. Go ahead. Yeah. Now, did you see the part on how the members of the commission are going to be selected? How the members of the the members of the commission to do the research? They're going to be selected to do the research, yes. The members of the commission that have been assigned this uh, activity, if you will. Okay. How are they going to be selected? I mean, I don't know. What are the criteria? I don't know. This is my first time seeing this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So since it's your first time, I'm asking you. Mm -hmm. because, I, because the red flag is in my mind. Because mm -hmm. first of all, Michael Imhotep wasn't aware. Mm -hmm. That means a lot of us don't even know this happened. Okay? Right. And everybody I ask, I've gotten that same response. Right. I don't know what that is. So a red flag is in my mind what I'm sharing with you. Right. So I'm asking you to do the research as you do, and I would like to share with you, brother, let's, let's have a show on that. Let's talk about this, because this just happened. Okay, yeah, that was January. Yeah, we need to talk to uh, some members of the Congressional Black Caucus about this as well. Yes, sir. Because they'll have more insight, uh, they'll probably have more insight uh, into this, especially uh, somebody like... Uh, um, Hakeem, Hakeem, Hakeem Jeffries, especially somebody like uh, they, Yeah, go ahead. Because when they de identify the date of these slaves being coming to America, it's mm -hmm. in the, the first sentence. Mm -hmm. And then they say the history of slavery, 400 years, they say 400 years, and 1619 to 2019 is 400 years. Yeah. Now, so, now. You understand what I'm saying? What, what, what is really happening here? What well, well, the legacy of slavery still continues in the in the in the process no, of the. I mean, in terms of this commission. No, 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 I, no, I understand. Legacy of slavery still continues to impact African Americans to, today and the U.S. But at the same time, uh, I wonder if they're going to look at um, the slavery, uh, the, the the enslaved Africans that the Spanish took into South Carolina, because the Spanish were enslaving uh, Africans a hundred years. Uh, they were bringing them a hundred years uh, prior to 1619 in in, in uh, South Carolina. So, uh, so I wonder if they're going to deal with that as well, or just deal with the British colonies. Yes. So that's why I'm asking you, brother. Yeah. What you do? Yep. And get back with it. Okay. I've been reading it over and over again, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just confused. Did you Google? Did you do a Google search on it to see uh, other if other information came up? Oh yes, it's all there. Everything is who, who's your who, who's your uh, member of Congress? U.S. House of Representatives. U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah. Which district are you in? I don't even get into that. Well, you, you you can call that office. You can call their office and get more information about it. I mean, this is this is from this is this is from. I'm just saying, as I read it, I'm confused. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling, Alan. Okay. Thanks for calling. All right, so this is from the House of Representatives.
okay? So this is from the House of Representatives. You can call your member of Congress in the House of Representatives and get some information about this, with this, uh, uh, whichever was John Kynes is uh, gone. So wh whoever it is, uh, wh wherever you're listening to, whichever city you're in, go to cbc.house.gov cbc.house.gov that is the official website of the Congressional Black Caucus cbc.house.gov it gives you the name of every member of the Congressional Black Caucus in Congress the House of Representatives as well as the U.S. Senate there are only two in the U.S. Senate there are 40, there was, this was 47 in the House of Representatives now it's 46 because John Conyers resigned and he has not been replaced because, uh, okay, because Snyder, I don't think, I think Snyder is leaving, Governor Snyder is leaving that uh, uh, space open, that seat open. So you can go to uh, cbc.house.gov. You can find your member of the Congressional Black Caucus. You can call their office and ask about House Resolution 1242 to get more information about it. Also at cbc.house.gov, it tells you different bills that you're a member of Congress, uh, the, that you're a member of the House of Representatives, that you're a member of the Congressional Black Caucus has sponsored. You can find out how they vote. You can find out different issues they're pushing, etc. cbc.house.gov. Now, if you are represented by somebody who's not a member of the House of Representatives, then you can go to house.gov. House.gov is the official website of the, well, actually, go to, uh, you can go to congress.gov, uh, which is the official website of uh, the uh, House of Representatives, congress.gov, okay? And you can find your member of the House of Representatives. They have their phone numbers there. You can call them. You can ask about this House resolution, get more information about it, etc. Now, the sponsor of this bill, which was introduced February 28, 2017, so the bill was uh, introduced February 28, 2017. Uh, it looks like uh, it may have gone through some revisions or something. Public Law Number 115 through 102, January 8, 2018. Uh, the measure has not been amended since it was passed by the House on May 1, 2017. So it was passed by the House of Representatives May 1st, 2017. The sponsor is Representative, Representative uh, uh, Bobby Scott, okay, Rep uh, of Virginia. Representative Bobby Scott tells you that right at the top. says sponsor. It's the committee that it's from is from the House Oversight and Gov Government Reform Committee. The House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. There's a link right there for Representative Bobby Scott. You can... Call Representative Bobby Scott. His office number is 202-225-8351. 202-225-8351. He's a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. He is, uh, his district is District 3 in Virginia. You can call his office and find out about the bill that he sponsored. Because he should be able to tell you about it. Because he's the one that sponsored the bill. All right? cbc.house.gov, very, very powerful tool. Fortunately, a lot of us don't know about it, don't use it.
Okay. So, right before uh, break and before Alan called in that information, thanks for calling in, Alan, once again. Uh, we were talking about Stephen Clark, all right? And there was an article from uh, theroot.com why he should, why, quote, he should have just complied, end quote, does not apply to Stephen Clark. Why, quote, he should have just, uh, just complied does not apply to Stephen Clark, all right? And um, this is from theroot.com, written by Monique Judge. And I don't, I don't share a lot of articles from the root.com anymore because of some of the writers they have and some of the things they say. You know, some of them, but, but this is a good one here. And um, Monique Judd says, since reporting Tuesday night on the shooting death of Stephen Clark at the hands of the Sacramento Police Department, I have gotten many of the same responses from people both on Twitter and in the comments section on the root.com. Why didn't he just comply? Why was he running from the police? Why was he holding his phone like a gun? Now, even after videos were posted Wednesday night, people still seem to be confused about the events that occurred on Sunday, March 18th. So I thought it would be a good idea to clear up at least some of the misconceptions that are floating around out there. So the first question, why was he running from the police? Now, Stephen Clark was never running from the police. He was already running through backyards and hopping fences in his neighborhood headed to his home. The police were not chasing him. Even as the helicopter, even as the helicopter guides the two uh, police officers to his location, he is still at his own home, standing on the side of, his, of the home where he lived. And he was no way, and he has no way of knowing the police are after him. Now, when the police began rushing toward him, he moves. At no point do the police identify themselves as police officers. Once again, it's dark. You can't see that these are officers. They yell at him to show his hands. They say he, ha they say that he has a gun and begin shooting at him. They fire at him twenty times. The police do not identify themselves until after he is already dead and the second unit arrives. The police claim they saw him with a gun. And the excuse everyone is making for that is, well, it was dark. Now, my question is, okay, so if it was dark, how did you really see that he had a gun if it was dark? Well, guess what? Stephen Clark was in the same darkness. They had no way of knowing who was coming toward him in that darkness as he stood in his own backyard. Okay, so, and then the uh, next question, why didn't he just comply? Now, as the videos show us, not only did the police not identify themselves, but, but as soon as they yelled out their command, they immediately began operating under the assumption that he had a gun. They began firing their weapons. Within three seconds, they began firing their weapons within three seconds of telling him to show his hands. Stephen Clark was not given the opportunity to comply. So, another question came up. Why was he holding his phone like a gun? So, um, she said that uh, Dominique, I think it was who wrote this, Dominique, which, which writer wrote this? Monique, Monique. 
So Monique Judge said, uh, why was he holding his phone like a gun is the question. I'm still trying to figure out what, quote, holding his phone like a gun, end quote, looks like. I'm still trying to figure that out, too. I don't know how you hold your phone like a gun. From what I can see on the helicopter video, it does look as if he pointed, it, it doesn't look like he pointed anything at them. His iPhone was white, and his hand at the time, uh, his, his iPhone was white, and in his hand at the time he was shot. Not sure how something big and square got mistaken for a gun. Now, the question comes up about evading arrest uh, in California. Now, evading arrest is a misdemeanor in California. Even if Stephen Clark was running from the police, evading arrest is a misdemeanor in the state of California and is not punishable by death. No one deserves to die just because they ran from the police. Someone running from the police is not posing a threat to them. If you are still confused after reading this, please watch the Washington Post video in which they combine the audio from the helicopter and the various videos provided by the police to show what happened. And then, uh, as uh, Sean King uh, pointed out, uh, there's an article from BlackAmericaWeb.com uh, about Sean King's commentary on this. The, uh, the story that the police told kept changing. The story that the police told kept changing. So this is why you're seeing the outrage that's taking place in Sacramento. This is why you're seeing the protests. Black Lives Matter organized uh, protests uh, on the Thursday night. This is why all this is taking place. Let's go to Josh, line one. Hey, Josh, welcome to the African History Network show. Thanks for holding. Tell us where you're calling from. Call from Detroit. How are you doing today? All right, all right. What's going on, man? Go ahead with your question or comment. Thanks for calling. A couple of minutes ago, you said uh, that this uh, young man uh, wasn't money from the police. Now, trust me, I'm not saying that what the police did shooting 20 times was right. But if a helicopter is up in the sky, it's got a spotlight down, and this kid is running, mm -hmm. and there's already um, um, people calling in saying that somebody's breaking into their cars and um, cops on foot come to the come to the point where this kid is looks like he's breaking into a home and uh, it's pitch black out and uh, he turns around with what looks like a gun and it isn't of course and Cops have to do what they have to do. How did it? They, how did it look like a gun? It's pitch blackout. So it's how? A black cell phone. So so no, it's a white you cell phone. It's a it's a it's a white it's an iPhone. It's a white cell phone. Did you hear me just say the article laid out? It's a, it was a white cell phone, not a black cell phone. Not a pitch black. It's a white. It's so how do you know he has a gun? Because if you actually follow the story, the story that the police told kept changing. First they said he had a toolbar, then they said he had a gun, or at one point they said he had a gun, then they said he had a toolbar. Come on, he didn't have either one. All he had was a cell phone. And it's a white cell phone, not a black cell phone. <laughs> well, I'm not sure where you get your information from, but... I'm reading the article right here, root.com. You can read it yourself. I'll give you the name of the article. You can check it out. Also read the article from the Los Angeles Times. 
why he should have just complied does not apply to Stephen Clark. Thursday, uh, March 20, uh, it was a Thursday, March 22nd, 2018. And it goes through and, and lays all this stuff out. His cell phone was white. He didn't have a gun. The police said, at one point they said they thought he had a toolbar. He didn't have a toolbar. They said they thought he had a gun. He didn't have a gun. And they didn't identify themselves before they shot him. Did you watch the video? You can watch the video. You watch the video. They don't identify themselves before they shoot him. They don't identify themselves as police. It's dark. They're shining a flashlight on him. They say, show me your hands. They don't identify themselves as the police. If it's dark and you're on the other side of a flashlight, you can't see who's behind the flashlight. He didn't know police were, he, he didn't know, he didn't know police were after him. He doesn't know, he doesn't know who's there. He doesn't know who's there. He doesn't know why the helicopter is there. He lives, he lives in that neighborhood. He's going home. He, he doesn't know, he doesn't know, he doesn't know why the helicopter is there. He doesn't know the police are after him. The police don't identify themselves as police. So why is the helicopter following him? The helicopter saw him because of calls that were called in about somebody breaking into, uh, breaking the windows out of trucks. He doesn't know. He doesn't. He doesn't know that the police are are, are following him. He doesn't know the police are after him, and the police don't identify themselves as police. He's running home. Oh, oh, oh! A black man running automatically means he did something. No, that's you. You asked why was he running? That's you. See, your white supremacy is coming out. Bye, Josh. See, I knew his white supremacy would come out. He's running home. A black man running in his own neighborhood automatically, that means he did something? Yeah. Yeah. See, go go research this. Let's go to Al. Al, line two. See, that's one of those white supremacists that probably used to call in when I used to be on in the morning. Yeah, go ahead, Al. What's going on? You I had to call Mike when I heard this guy. Absolutely. I knew his white supremacy would come out. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I knew it would come out. If I just let him talk long enough, I knew his stupid-ass white supremacy would come out. Listen, listen. I, I'm going to give you a name that you know who it is. Robert F. Woods. And the Black Guard. I'm, I'm, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about, Mama Rowe. He passed away here in Michigan. I'm going to tell you something, Michael. That guy got read the article because... First of all, the gentleman didn't have kids. He was going to check on his grandparents. He knocked on the back wood like he always did. They mm -hmm. opened up the garage. Mm -hmm. Most people don't realize that the chopper was following somebody. Then they lost who it was. And then they saw him coming around. Right. Not with him. Yeah, they saw him. That guy and called in. That guy called in. He didn't even see these people. So my thing is, if you do a civil infraction, why should you lose your life? Exactly. It's a misdemeanor to run from police one. But the other thing is, is it's not illegal to be a black man running at night. But that's the thing. People, I'm going to tell you something. I've been listening to you for a long time. Right. I'm I'm to the point now, man. People like that who just call me. Right. I don't think how stupid he is. I don't know how Right. Hey man, <laughs> he's a lot of these Donald Trump supporters. <laughs>
They're going to love rapping now on Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. <laughs> Be cool, Mike. I got to go, man. You got to go, man. All right. All right, man. All right. Hey, we're coming. Up. Okay, thanks for calling in now. Hey, look, we're coming up on the break. Now, when we come back from the break, speaking of rapping now, we're gonna, I'm going to play a segment from Politics Nation from this morning. Well, he's talking to attorneys and they're laying out the facts of the case and how justice was. Once again, just so everybody knows, hashtag is not illegal to be a black man running at night. I guess unless you're a white supremacist. Listen to 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio, Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. Founder of the African History Network. Hey, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Um, you know I'm doing the online lecture coming up Saturday, March 31st, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, dealing with the film Black Panther, analysis of the film Black Panther, cultural analysis, there with African history, there was the history of the Black Panther comic book. It's going to be it's a deep, deep presentation. I'm working on that now. Uh, so it's $10 to register for it. You'll be able to watch it over and over again. Visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can also register for uh, our bundle pack of uh, my online courses, uh, online classes. Uh, so we have five on demand. includes Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach in the school, uh, African American Resistance in the Era of Donald Trump, Voter Suppression, Reparations and how elections have consequences. Um, great African women in history, the mothers of civilization, and more. So the six course bundle pack. Now it also includes, also automatically registers you for the um, Black Panther uh, online lecture coming up uh, Saturday, March 31st. Okay, so you can uh, visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All information is there. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and uh, also you can. Uh, uh, those watching on Facebook, we shared it on the thread of the broadcast uh, as well. As soon as you register, you can start watching immediately. Okay. Then those in the Detroit area, I wanted to remind you that coming up um, Tuesday, March 27th, Tuesday, March 27th, 2018, 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m., uh, I will be uh, speaking at the For New Way Forward Mentor Mixer. Uh, New Way Forward Mentor Mixer. Uh, this is... Um, I'll be speaking, I'll, I'll be dealing with uh, great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. And uh, this is an organization that deals with uh, mentoring, uh, especially African American uh, youth. Okay, So it's located at 1420 Washington Boulevard in Detroit. 1420 Washington Boulevard in Detroit, downtown Detroit, uh, 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m., uh, Tuesday, March 27th. And it's uh, free and open to the public. And we'll get the um, information uh, on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Um, on Facebook, Willie said, that's what gets me. They muted the mics on their body cams. What is the training policy for this? But they said, somebody said, one of the officers said, mute. Then the sound goes out. Very interesting. Okay. Let's go to Abdullah because Abdullah's been holding. I want to go to Abdullah first. Then we'll go to this clip from um Politics Nation. Hey, Abdullah, thanks for holding, brother. Uh, welcome to the African History Network show. Go ahead and uh, with your question or comment. Okay. Yeah, brother, I was so glad that you got that KKK number. I can't hear they're enjoying 
KKK and Ken here to join But I know you were going to take care of me. You know you recognize who you were, man. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to call them KKK or skinhead, things like that, man. But, but go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And he called us up going to make you look bad. But thank you for taking care of me. Okay. Something like it is, man. Right. All right, man. Go ahead. Did you have another comment? Or that, that was it? Oh, that was it. Okay. All right. I, do, I had to call in on that one. All right. Um, so, this morning on Politics Nation, uh, MSNBC, Reverend Al Sharpton, and uh, if you've been hearing the uh, promos, Reverend Al Sharpton is joining the 9-10 a.m. Stoop Station family starting Monday, March 26th. You'll be able to hear uh, Keeping It Real, um, Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's a national, nationally syndicated radio show. But they, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton talked about the uh, Stephen Clark killing, uh, police killing in uh, Sacramento. And he spoke with um, Clarence Cox, Mark Claxton. Mark Claxton is uh, heads up uh, an organization dealing with black police officers against police brutality. And attorney uh, Benjamin Crump, okay, and attorney Benjamin Crump is representing the family. Uh, and they discuss how uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions is ignoring uh, this shooting of Stephen Clark and still praising police uh, as well and how this is a huge problem for African Americans. Let's go to this clip. One or two officers who make a error, even a ter terrible error, uh, indicts an entire department because we know every department has fabulous men and women there who work every day, but uh, I think we know the difference. On Friday, Attorney General Jeff Sessions addressed dozens of the nation's black law enforcement officers at a meeting in Birmingham, Alabama. And while he pledged to protect civil rights, missing from his address was any serious commitment to police reform the other side of the gun debate for the black community, which was incensed this week by the police shooting, the shooting death, I might say, of unarmed 23-year-old Stefan Clark, fired upon 20 times in his grandmother's backyard Sunday night in Sacramento, California. The Sacramento police investigating a vandalism complaint initially claimed they felt threatened by what they thought appeared to be a gun, but which later turned out to be a cell phone. Joining me now is Clarence Cox, president of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Marx uh, 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 is he's Claxman, a uh, former New York uh, PD uh, detective and director of Black Law Enforcement Alliance and civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump, who is representing the family of Sacramento police shooting victim Stefan Clark. Let me go to you first, uh, Attorney Crump. You are in Sacramento. Uh, certainly uh, this case has not gotten the national attention that I, uh, I think it deserves. Twenty shots at an unarmed man. I immediately uh, was alarmed by this. I talked to the mother of Reverend Shane Harris of Nash Action Network. Is uh, boots on the ground there in San Diego, Reverend 
Tulis and others, and uh, I understand that you, like so many other national cases, have now become involved in this case, and we're announcing this for the first time on national TV. Yes, sir, Reverend Al, and let me first say thank you to your leadership with the National Action Network, Reverend Harris, Reverend Tulis, and Reverend Moulton. Uh, have been a tremendous assistance to the family, uh, especially as they prepare for the homecoming uh, of this tragic, senseless killing. And they're very hopeful, uh, the family of Stefan Clark, that you will be uh, available to come on Thursday to help properly eulogize him. Well, I'm, I'm going to try my best to be there since you <laughs> said it on television. But I, I told the mother I would do what I could, and I intend to be there on Thursday. But tell us about this case, because I'm putting this in the context of this happened Sunday night. The Attorney General speaks in Birmingham on Friday, and, and I want to get uh, uh, Mr. Cox's analysis of that as one that was in the room. Yet he doesn't mention this case. He doesn't talk about police reform. He doesn't deal at all, Attorney Crump, with an issue that is raging the, all over this country. When he met with us as civil rights leaders, he listened, made no commitments. This has been months ago, and we can't talk about gun violence without talking about how police use guns. Twenty shots on an unarmed person, Attorney, attorney Crump, and I thought it was a gun. Absolutely, Reverend Al. This follows those tragedies like Terrence Crutch in Oklahoma, Laquan McDonald, uh, Walter Scott in Chicago and South Carolina, all over America. And what Stephon Clark's family is just devastated about is that he was executed in their backyard, yet he had no gun, no weapon at all. He made no threats against the police, and the police offered no warning to him. They didn't identify themselves, and they offered him no humanity after they executed him in the backyard. For over six minutes, he laid there dying, and they did nothing to help him. And then when they finally approached him, they handcuffed him, and one of the officers used profane language, and then a supervisor tells him, mute your mics, then everything is muted, and it almost feels like it's a conspiracy. And so that's why the family is just outraged and devastated. Now. Uh, let me go to you, Clarence Cox. You were in the room. Uh, the Attorney General came. Did he address any specifics that he and leading the Justice Department would do around policing? And the reason I say that is the former Attorney General Eric uh, Holder, who went uh, to many of these places, like Ferguson, when many of us were there protesting, and like. Uh, Loretta Lynch went to Baltimore. Did he even address situations like this shooting we just saw? The very week he addressed uh, the uh, group that you were part of. And was he challenged by any of the black police officers in the room about how are we going to deal with police reform when many of them have been subjected to racism by their own colleagues in law enforcement? Good morning, sir. And certainly we were concerned with the shooting that you and uh, Attorney Crump are talking about. Well, the first thing that we hit him with is the drug penalties that he's trying to levy on drug traffickers because yeah, we're very concerned 
uh, being that drugs have been plaguing the African-American and brown communities for quite some time. And we're very concerned with the strong language they used this week about the death penalty associated with drug trafficking. And so that was our first conversation. And we made it very clear that we were not uh, aligned with the Justice Department on many of the issues because it seems like recently most of these issues have been something that would disenfranchise minorities even more. And so he assured us that the messaging from the Justice Department may have had a, a wrinkle in it, and, and we sure, uh, you know, let him know that we heard what he said, and, and I actually read a memo that he wrote out to all U.S. attorneys across the country that said that you could apply the, the death penalty to these folks. And so my concern was that, are we talking about cartel leaders or are we talking about drug traffickers? Yeah, because and, and it's, profiling yeah. uh, them at that, and I think you're right to raise that issue, but Mark Claxton, uh, I'm also concerned that issue, and I give them credit for raising it, and certainly I think it's important. I'm uh, disappointed in the Attorney General's response, as I was in our meeting with him of civil rights leaders. But you worked hard, tirelessly, on reforming how police are held accountable, even though you've been a policeman yourself. Why would a police officer tell another officer to mute the sound after shooting 20 times if they weren't trying to cover up whatever they were going to try to use as a rationale. Now, I'm not prejudging it. I'm asking the question, what would be any reason to say mute the sound? There are a host of reasons, uh, some legitimate, some illegitimate, that a police officer would engage in that type of conduct. But what makes it especially suspicious uh, is the circumstances in which they decided to mute the, the, their microphones. It wasn't, were they afraid of saying something that was incriminating? Because that's what stands out in your mind. And let me jump back, Reverend Al, if I could, uh, just to the Attorney General. Uh, Jeff Sessions, you know, you know, uh, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions is continuing his cops as props tour. But if you are expecting, or anyone is expecting, anything progressive or forward-thinking from this relic of a bygone era, uh, they're going to be sadly, uh, sadly mistaken. They're going to be d bitterly disappointed at uh, at what he's able to do. As far as reform is concerned, if you deal with and address a reform agenda comprehensively and inclusively, you will have substantive movement. But this is not the era in this administration where that seems probable or possible. Yep. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to go. Let me say thank you to Clarence Cox, to, uh, to Mark uh, Claxton, and Attorney Crump on the case again. I'm sure I'll be seeing you this week. Uh, out in Sacramento. And a reminder, registration is now open for this year's National Action Network's okay. National Convention, April 18th. Okay, April 18th through April 22nd. All right, so that was from this morning, uh, Politics Nation, Reverend Al Sharpton. The name of that clip, you can go to msnbc.com, check that out for yourself. Justice for Stephen Clark, S-T-E-P-H-O-N. Justice for Stephen Clark, okay? All right, uh, let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Jeff. Hey, Jeff, thanks for holding. Uh, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. Just to the guy who's going on, Michael Hotel, uh, calling from Orlando, Florida. Oh, Orlando, Florida. Okay, all right, go ahead, man. Thanks for holding. Yeah, chill, man. Well, hey, man, you know, 
that that shooting, man, you know, what to that young brother, man, is it, it, very, uh, it's a tragic, tragedy situation, man. Absolutely. Uh, but, but, but the whole assumption is that, you know, uh, what made the cops, what was the whole assumption of the cops Thinking this young black man breaking into people's cars. You know what I mean? Well, there was a call. There, there was a, a a call was called in by somebody who said they saw somebody breaking into trucks. So the call was dispatched to the police in, in that area, and they're out looking for uh, this person. Okay, so they see so they see Stephen Clark, and they think that he's the person that the call was made about. Dang is he was running. I mean, you know, I mean Yeah, he was running uh to his uh grandparents' house. Grandparents' house, right, 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 right. So you thinking that was he was he scared or she thought that was coming after him? Or? Well no, he didn't uh, apparently he didn't know the police were after him and he was just uh he was just running. It appears he was just running uh to his grandparents' house. You know, when you look at the uh when you look at which article was that? That was from uh, I think it was from the uh, L.A. Times. There were two recent ones that I read, one from the L.A. Times, and it said that he was going through, uh, or maybe in the, the root.com. Let me look at the article from, uh, from the root. Um, it said he was going through um, backyards. Okay, so Clark was never running from the police. He was already running through backyards and hopping fences in his neighborhood headed to his home his home with okay and the police were not uh it, it, so what happened was the police when, when uh monique just said the police were not chasing him this, 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 what this meant was one he didn't know the police were after him two the helicopter spots him okay and then they think this is the guy that was breaking the windows okay but 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 that's not the case okay that's not the case that question again? I said, what would be the main objective to fix our infrastructure in the black community to be successful? When you say our infrastructure, what, what are you referring to? Like, 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 like community, like, you know, like, like, what would be the main objective to fix that, to fix our infrastructure to be successful in the black community? You know, meaning, like, my, my, uh, we got, like, the community stores, the YMCA, the Boys and Girls Club, like, Okay. School, you know, just mainly the black community, like, you know, like, what would be the, what would be the main objective to fix the infrastructure in the, in the community? You know okay. Uh, well, um, it's going to be a, a few things uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. One is going to deal with understanding uh, the need to support our businesses more 
and, and take that money that is uh, made from the businesses, hire more of our own people, one. Right. Two, um, gains, uh, get more support for um, entities like the Y, after-school programs, um, the, the, uh, the recreation centers, all different types of things like that. A lot of that comes like recreation centers, which are owned, usually owned by the city. A lot of that comes from um, the city budget. Okay, so um, you, you're looking at um, uh, city resources. You're also looking at uh, resources coming from the African American community, businesses that we own, um, and then you're looking at also um, you can also leverage the dollars that you spend with various corporations to get investments in the African American community because if you have um, corporations, if you have billionaires getting tax breaks to build stadiums, well, they should be also, and I'm against the tax breaks going to billionaires to build stadiums, by the way, number one. But if you're doing that, there should be a significant investment in the African-American community for various programs, various things that are going to benefit the community and benefit the youth as well. Okay, so uh, the other thing is is that you leverage the dollars that you spend uh, with various corporations to also be able to push a political agenda as well, okay? Because you can uh, leverage your dollars and get corporations to put pressure on elected officials also. So if we look at uh, March 2015 in the state of Indiana, when, when uh, okay, you know what, we're coming up on a break. I'll continue this on the other side of the break. I ain't see the clock. Okay, stand by. Hey, you listen to the African History Network show, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, the Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. All right. If you're looking for a curriculum for African-American children to teach them their history, then look no further than Legacy Kits by Ignis. Legacy Kits by Ignis is an African-American-owned business that provides African-American and African history curriculum for school-aged children. Their goal is to teach children about their strong history, which is not taught in schools across America. Legacy Kits provide a hands-on learning experience that children love. Each kit contains a workbook, two history books, and two projects. They make it easy for busy parents like you. Subscribe today to receive a monthly package filled with the rich heritage of African people. Teach your children about their history. For more information and to sign up, visit Legacy Kits by Ignis, I-G-N-I-S, LegacyKitsByIgnis.com. Visit them today. Follow them on social media and sign up to receive their emails for special discounts. Remember, right knowledge corrects wrong behavior. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here at 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the future radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. Uh, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the uh, online uh, lecture I'm doing Saturday, March 31st, 2018, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, dealing with the film uh, Black Panther, analysis of the film uh, Black Panther, um, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And then also you can register for our six-course online bundle pack, 
get six of my online classes, uh, five are on demand, and it also automatically registers you for the uh, Black Panther um, uh, online class also, okay? That's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com as well. Those watching on uh, Facebook uh, will post this uh, here on the thread of the broadcast also. It says register here, okay? All right, so before the break, um, Jeff was at. Let's go back to Jeff for a quick minute, and I got to I got to move on to this. Uh, I have to change topics. Okay, Jeff. So uh, so the other thing was um, um, you also have to uh, leverage your dollars to also uh, push your political agenda, enforce your political agenda as well. Okay, and uh, uh, is more to, uh, pushing a political agenda is more than just voting. It's also holding elected officials accountable. There are various ways to do that. But when you start targeting uh, corporations that help to support uh, these elected officials, you start having targeted sustained economic withdrawal strategies, putting pressure on them. You can uh, uh, use those corporations to put pressure on the, uh, on the elected officials, also to push your agenda. So I was giving an example, March 2015. Um, Governor Mike Pence at the time was now vice president, unfortunately. Governor Mike Pence signed into law the Indiana Religious, Indiana Religious, uh, Indiana Religious Freedom Act, okay? And this gave uh, businesses, uh, among other things, but it allowed businesses to say they did not want to provide services to gay people or a gay couple, what have you, if they felt that it violated their religion. Okay, so what happened was you had LGBT community putting pressure on uh, uh, corporations, and you had a number of corporations who either pulled business away from the state of Indiana, like Salesforce.com. They either threatened to pull businesses or shut down projects or cancel conventions because there were nine conventions scheduled to take place in the state of Indiana at that time. One, uh, one actually canceled. It cost the state of Indiana $500,000 in lost business. And then you had uh, corporations like Apple who said they were, they, 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 they were watching and they, they were strong concern. But they put economic pressure on. You had concerts canceled. You had the uh, NCAA that canceled games in the state of Indiana. You go back and, you go back and research that. There was economic pressure put. In a little more than a week, the state legislature changed the law because they lost so much business. There was such a spotlight put on the state of Indiana. Okay, So you had people leveraging their economic power, putting pressure on corporations to then put pressure on elected officials. A little more than a week, they changed the law. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Well, the reason why a lot of our people don't fight back is because a lot of our people don't think they're worth fighting for. They suffer from low self-esteem. The foundation is your history and culture. They suffer from low self-esteem. Your history and culture gives you your values, your interests, and your principles. So a lot of our people don't fight back because they don't think that we're fighting for it. Now, they'll go play the lottery every day. 
They'll stand in line and play the lottery every day. Won't go vote. Won't go vote people out of office that are mistreating them. They'll pay money to, to pay the, play the lottery every day, and they'll play the lotto every week. The, yeah, yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. But this is what happens when people have low self-esteem, low racial esteem, don't think they're worth fighting for. They, 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 you know, they'll, they'll, they'll invest their money in uh, pipe dreams. Yep. Okay, brother, I got to run. I got to get to these other topics we run out of time. Okay? Thanks for calling. Okay. Um, you can check out this article since uh, um, you brought up uh, the topic. Check out this article from um, March 25, 2015. Gen Con, G-E-N-C-O-N, -E two separate words. Gen Con threatens to take popular convention and millions out of Indiana over religious freedom bill. This is one of the articles I have in my archives dealing with this because I followed this. And in a little more than a week, they got it all straight now. I said, wow, that's amazing. But they, <laughs> they, they redistributed the pain. They redistributed the pain. Read this article. Organizers of Gen Con said to be the, said to be the largest gaming convention, the video games, not casino, the largest gaming convention in the U.S. have threatened to take their event and potentially millions of dollars out of the state of Indiana if Governor Mike Pence signs a controversial religious freedom bill into law. Okay, so it goes through and talks about this. Now, there were nine conventions threatening to pull their convention out of the state of Indiana. One of them did. All right, but go research this and you can just uh, uh, Google Indiana uh, religious freedom bill and you can see the uh, uh, articles that come up about it. Okay, uh, even, uh, let's see, who had this article here? Uh, let's look at this. Uh, CNN had an article, Indiana Religious Freedom Bill Restoration Act, which you need to know. They had one. Oh, Apple CEO. Now, Apple CEO is, is openly gay, right? Tom, uh, Tim Cook. Apple's, Apple CEO slams Indiana Religious Freedom Bill, Religious Freedom Law, seen as anti-gay, all right? You had the, uh, let me see, one of these articles here talked about this. You had the uh, NBA. I think it was, uh, it, now I know, I know in North Carolina over the bathroom bill, the NBA moved the All-Star game from North Carolina somewhere else. Because I just find that interesting. Did, did they ever move, uh, did the NBA ever move the All-Star game or ever cancel uh, a basketball game, like say because Tamir Rice was killed or because Stephen Clark was killed, you know, I'm not saying because you because you feared a threat to the uh, uh, to the fans going to the game. I'm saying you cancel the game out of protest. They the 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 NBA moved the All Star game from North Carolina. Because of the North Carolina bathroom bill, they did that out of protest. The NBA is 80% African American. I'm just saying. All right. So, yesterday, you had the March for Our Lives uh, uh, rally that took place all across the country. The main one was in Washington, D.C. He had 800,000 people approximately showed up in Washington, D.C. And from reports I'm hearing, more people showed up for that than Trump's inauguration. So we'll see what, <laughs> we'll see what Trump says about that, right? And 
this was organized by the uh, students at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, where the attack took place February 14, 2018. So in the 39 days since the shooting, uh, you had uh, people like Emma Gonzalez and David Hogg and others. Uh, these survivors have galvanized a nationwide movement for gun reform. So on Saturday, March 24, 2018, hundreds of students uh, gathered in the nation's capital and at sister marches across the country and around the world. There are approximately 800 rallies and marches around the world, most of them in the U.S. It took place on uh, seven continents. And they delivered a powerful message, unified, a uh, powerful unified message that enough is enough. So students from uh, uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School organized and hosted the main event on the mall in Washington, uh, D.C., uh, with the U.S. Capitol in the background. Now, Trump went to Mar-a-Lago. He thought that was more important. He went to Mar-a-Lago. And uh, none of the, uh, most of the uh, uh, members of Congress were not there, uh, were not, in, the Congress was not in session. Some attended some of the rallies. I know uh, John Lewis spoke in Atlanta at a rally. Some attended uh, some of the rallies, mainly probably Democrats. I don't know if a lot of Republicans attended this, okay? But uh, Cameron Caskey, who's one of the student organizers, told a cheering crowd filled with teenagers, uh, quote, we, here, we hereby promise to fix the broken system. We've been forced in, uh, into and create a uh, better world for the generations to come. Now, the Washington rally featured 20, uh, the, the rally in Washington, D.C., featured 20 student speakers, numerous famous musicians, and the Stoneman Douglas Drama Club, which performed their original song, Shine, with the student choir. Organizers estimated that approximately 800,000 people attended the march. You also had uh, a thousand people uh, who were registering people to vote as well. Okay, there was uh, because there's a they are not just rallying, not just calling for common sense gun laws. Right, they're also registering young people to vote. Those who are going to turn 18 by the midterm elections, they're registering people to vote. Thinkprogress.org had a good article, March for Our Lives Pushes to Expand the Voter Rolls Across the Country. March for Our Lives Pushes to Expand the Voter Rolls Across Our Country, March 24, 2018. Uh, a nonpartisan organization called Headcount that, uh, that registers young voters uh, at concerts partnered with the students of uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School behind the March for Our Lives and sent close to 1,000 volunteers to register marchers at Saturday's uh, event in Washington, D.C. Okay? Headcount spokesman Aaron Giltman, G-H-I-T-E-L-M-A-N, said volunteers who dressed in neon yellow or neon green shirts were coming back with 10 to 20 filled out voter forms each. And the young people who filled out those forms are from all over the country. All right? So they're not just rallying. They're not just marching. They're organizing 
and they're registering people to vote, to vote, vote politicians out of office that are not pass that are not passing common sense gun laws. Now we've seen a little progress in Florida, and when I say common sense gun laws, I'm talking about I'm not talking about giving up your guns. People on Facebook are saying, why are you talking about giving up your guns? You never heard me say black people should give up their guns. You never heard me say that. You never heard me write that. So don't come posting that stupid-ass nonsense on any of my social media pages. You have me confused with somebody else. But I am for universal background checks. I am for closing the, uh, uh, the loopholes when it comes to gun shows. You should have universal background checks at the gun shows, apply to gun shows as well. I'm, 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 I'm for strengthening the gun laws in Indiana because Indiana has very lax gun laws. So even though the state of Illinois has stronger gun laws than Indiana, 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 illegal guns flow from the state of Indiana into Chicago. Now, I find it very interesting that Governor Mike Pence, who used to be the governor of Indiana, doesn't talk about this at all. Sarah Huckabee Sanders at the, at, uh, at the White House press secretary, she stands there and gives the White House briefings. She attacks Chicago, all right, and she talks about the gun violence in Chicago and, and almost talks about uh, people in Chicago who are victims of gun violence as if they are not human. Doesn't talk about getting needed resources there. Doesn't really talk about, look, we want to hear from people in Chicago to find out what they really need so we can help. Donald Trump during the campaign, during the uh, town hall meeting with Sean Hannity, he said he would bring back stop and frisk in Chicago, even though that's been ruled uh, uh, unconstitutional by a federal judge. Now, Donald Trump did not say he would bring back, he would use stop and frisk in Maine, in Ohio, in Vermont, in any of these states or any of these communities where white people are dropping dead of opioid addictions and heroin addictions. He didn't say, will you stop and frisk there? He's talking about using stop and frisk in the African American communities. I wonder why. So, um, let's go to this clip here. This is from um, yesterday, March 24th. This is from A.M. Joy. This is uh, some of the... Uh, some of the highlights, and then, and and then, and then you had you had some people uh, saying, "Oh, why?" No. So the other thing was so. So here is oftentimes here is oftentimes the uh, the naysayers who sit on the sidelines and don't do anything. All right, they'll say when you have these rallies, they're not talking about Chicago, they're not talking about inner city gun violence, blah blah blah. Right? Then when you have black students that show up to deal with that issue while they're there with those white people. Come on. Let's go to this clip here. Oh, just playing off the laptop, right? Okay. Today, the 800,000 young students gathered here in Washington and the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of more uh, who joined around the world, uh, millions more to be honest, were their own heroes. They took their demands for action on guns from Parkland, Florida, straight to the White House. Today, they told us all that they're just getting started. Barricaded behind those filing cabinets and bookcases that day taught me one thing and one thing only. Regardless of how much money you pay or how much you pray, 
Mr. Trump, Congress, the Senate, and all elected leaders of America, you have failed us, and we have had enough of your NRA agenda. And to those politicians supported by the NRA that allow the continued slaughter of our children and our future, I say, get your resumes ready. Today is the beginning of spring, and tomorrow is the beginning of democracy. These walkouts have been criticized. They have been told that it is a disruption to the educational process. And I say to them, the real disruption to the educational process is staring down the barrel of a gun. We need change now! Yes, I am a Parkland survivor and an MSD student. But before this, I was a regular black girl, and after this, I am still black, and I am still regular, and I will fight for all of us! For far too long, these names, these black girls and women, have been just numbers. I'm here to say, never again for those girls, too. I am here to say that everyone should value those girls, too. The Sandy Hook mass shooting should have been the last one in our nation, but there are more and more every single day. And that's why Newtown says enough, and we say never again. So to all of you who are assisting us in the fight for change, thank you. Thank you all. And the fight begins today, and it will not end until we get what we need. from Sirius XM Radio. Uh, Mark, this was a day in which Cher was here, Kanye and Kim were here, Jennifer Hudson was here, Ariana Grande, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Andre Day, on and on and on. No one was thinking about those celebrities here today. Those kids were the celebrities. They were the stars. They were. They are incredible. They, and they were the speakers. And all the only had, speakers. The only speakers. And all that joy. You know, the right wing, whenever we bring up gun violence, you know, they bring out the old trope, uh, Chicago, Chicago, even Trump. Chicago was here today. Yes, yes. They'll never be able to use that again. These young people brought together gun violence from all walks, be it gun violence uh, in the streets outside of high schools and gun violence in the high schools. And for the first time, you're hearing from white parents who know what, what black and brown parents go through every day when we have what we call the talk, when we talk about our children um, and, and their safety. You know, it was, it was so touching to hear. Uh, um, uh, it makes you emotional here, Dr. And Mrs. King's uh, granddaughter, yeah. Yolanda. Um, because as we come upon the 50th anniversary of his martyrdom, you know, he wasn't killed for just leading black people. He was killed for leading a beloved community, red, yellow, black, and white. We saw that today, the beloved community. Dr. King died um, for America's sins. And bullets were the nails in his cross. These children, Parkland, Chicago, Zaire Kelly, Corlin Arrington, these African-American children, Latino children, Native American children, um, bullets are the nails in their crosses as well. Thoughts and prayers won't do enough anymore, though. We need um, a resurrection. 
And all a resurrection is is change and really revolution. And so I think what we saw today is, is Easter joy came earlier this year. Yeah, do you think that they will be able to get Congress? I mean, look at all of these cities. Is yeah. this going to translate into legislation, into actual action? Well, again, uh, the Birmingham crusade, the children's crusade, changed the tide of the civil rights movement. It was when those children stood up in Birmingham. That's what we have today, and it's even bigger. It's not just in one city. Yep. This is all over the world. I think we finally will see a change. Yeah, absolutely. I, this, th I've never seen anything like this, obviously, not in the modern times. Like uh, this combines left. all of these youth movements that we've seen from Black Lives Matter on into one cohesive movement, and they yeah. did that themselves. No, they most certainly did. And, and, I'm, and I'm very proud of the kids because the kids in Parkland spoke up and they said, you know, we get a lot of attention because of our privilege. That's right. David Hogg said that. And so when the other kids were brought forward and allowed yeah. to participate, yeah. that really brought this thing together. We've not seen yeah. this type of unity before. Amazing. Mark Thompson, thank you. Okay. All right. All right. So that was uh, from uh, A.M. Joy. Joanne Reed got other clips that you have to. Uh, we posted some of them at uh, our fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network. Only have MSNBC.com. Also, you can search for uh, March for Our Lives, March for Our Lives at MSNBC.com. And you'll see the video clips of African-American uh, youth talking about inner city gun violence and why they're there at the rally and uh, why they're there at the march and et cetera. Let's go to line one. Let's go to Brenda. Hey, Brenda, welcome to the African History Network show. Uh, tell us where you're calling from. I'm calling from Detroit. All right. And go ahead. back and forth on Facebook about this issue. Yeah, I know who you are, Brenda. I just, I just asked for, uh, that was just for the uh, purpose of the audience. I know who you are. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> What's going and, on? And let me tell them a little bit about who I am. Okay, go ahead. My son, Brandon was murdered. He was a college student at Wayne State University. Mm -hmm. sorry, sorry to hear that. 22, mm -hmm. Along with his 19-year-old friend, uh, Melinda Goodwin. They were killed. It's going on nine years, nine years mm -hmm. April the 9th, 2009. Right. And uh, since then, um, I've founded several groups. Mothers mm -hmm. Murdered Children. I was a co-founder of. I have another group, uh, Women's Delegation for Peace and Change. I stand. I sit. I look for missing people. In fact, I was just looking for Alicia Smith, the one that's missing here in Detroit, 27-year-old mother. Mm -hmm. So I put the time in. Right. This is not a person who's just giving opinions. Right. I mean, I have experiences. And so right. what you and I were talking about is the fact that not many of black and brown children issue was school shootings vis-a-vis -vis the mass school shootings. Their issues are going to and from school. That's where they're being shot down. And I stand at many protests, marches, you know, hugging parents, and there are no white people there ever. Mm -hmm. Unless their child, their child has been shot and they need my help. Right. Now, now what, I, now, what I said on, on Facebook, on your thread, was I said that African-American children fear being shot in the classroom, on the way to school, and in their communities. And when you watch the, uh, when you watch the videos and you watch the interviews of African-American youth from Chicago, from different cities who were there at the rally, uh, there at the, um, mar uh, there at the uh, rally uh, in D.C., they talked about that, even, even before that, even the day before that. 
um, for instance, on uh, MSNBC, I think it was uh, Lawrence O'Donnell, uh, because they had a series of these interviews on Friday leading up to the march. They interviewed three African-American males who were high school students uh, at the high school in Maryland where you had the uh, two high school students shot uh, earlier, last, it was last week, I think it was last week, okay? And they talked about uh, the shooting, they talked about why they were going to the rally in D.C., they talked about the inner city gun violence as well, they talked about the fear of being shot in the classroom also. So with African-American youth, it's broader than just in the classroom. But African-American youth, if you actually, and this is what I'm saying, but if you actually look at, for instance, if you look at the article from thinkprogress.org, the school gun violence we don't talk about, the school gun violence we don't talk about, November 2nd, 2016. And uh, yeah. in the article, they talk about how the findings also highlighted, uh, well, first of all, they say there have been 201 incidents of firearms being discharged on school grounds since January 2013. This is up until basically sometime in 2016. According to new findings from Everytown for Gun Safety and Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense, they said the findings also highlighted an issue that is often overlooked in national conversation about gun shootings. 39% of non-shooter victims, meaning that this is somebody who wasn't a shooter, but they were still shot. 39% of non-shooter victims of gun violence on school campuses are African-American, even though African-Americans only make up 13% of the population. It's actually 14% now, 13, 14% of the population. Meanwhile, 45%, 45% of non-shooter victims were white, and 10% were non-white Latino victims. So what, what, what I was saying was that at this march and the one that took place uh, March 14th, which was the one-month anniversary of the Parkland, uh, of the attack on Parkland. Even that one, because that one, when you, uh, that was organized by um, the Women's March. It was organized by the Youth Division of the Women's March. And when I went to their website, they talked about how that was dealing with school uh, shootings and it was dealing with inner city violence. And they talked about how the inner city violence, the shootings with the inner city uh, uh, violence amongst uh, African-American youth and Hispanic youth is oftentimes overlooked when you have these types of rallies. Go ahead. No, I agree. I agree with you. And the more information that's out there, not that I agree with all of this information because I, ex I, I experience it every day. Mm -hmm. And those numbers are quite a few. But however... But these are national. Let me these are national numbers, just so people understand. It's not Detroit numbers. These are national. The these are national numbers. I go, numbers. All, over the, I go mm -hmm. all over the country. Go ahead. But however, I mean, the first thing is I have to say that if any children are listening, we are all proud mm -hmm. of everything they did yesterday. We all are. Right. Well, some of them may, because I, I heard on social media some of them were talking about it. But go ahead. You are, and I am. But go ahead. I'm saying you and I. Yeah. You and I. Yeah. Right. Is real. Right. 
there are no white people there to support. Mm -hmm. uh, probably in Sacramento, the percentage of white folks that are marching, protesting for Stefan probably can't even be put on a chart. It's so small. Mm -hmm. And so that's my position that I am talking about. Why should we, as a black and brown people, support white issues when they don't support black and brown issues ever? What are you calling a white issue? What do you call a white issue? A mass school shooting. Mm -hmm. Mass school shootings. Even the shooter in Parkland wasn't considered white. He was considered Hispanic. Mm -hmm. But overall, that's a white issue. Now, in Aurora, in the um, in in the theater. I mean, most of the mass shootings are by white or white uh, people considered white. That's their issue. The trauma of white issues are have always been put upon black people since, you know, what, we met them on the west coast of Africa. What 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 about the African American students at the schools that experience the same trauma? Twenty five percent of the students at Parkland at the Parkland High School no no twenty five percent of the students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School were African American. They talked about the experience they went through they went through the trauma also. The the issue I'm talking about is the shooter who's putting that upon. I, I, I have I think there's there's been black people in any issue that white people of a white person's issue. Um but 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 they're fighting but 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 they're but the but the but the African American students who are survivors of Parkland expanded the conversation to talk about inner city gun violence at the same time. Okay, some of some of them did. That conversation was brought up, but it is gonna be whitewashed. That is not going to be the face of this movement. The face of this movement is white kids and white mass shootings. Well, black people and black mm -hmm. and brown issues, which the vast majority of are uh, happen off school grounds. And those that those people do not come and support those issues. Right. Well, what I would say is one, if uh okay, we got two minutes left. What I would say is one is uh, with this right here, if we uh, we should not let our issues of inner city gun violence be pushed to the side, and this is why it was so prominent yesterday. I watched uh, probably about six hours of the coverage yesterday. This is why it was so prominent yesterday. Two, I would encourage people to read the article from the Chicago Tribune. One hundred eighty-seven thousand students have been exposed to gun violence. It doesn't mean shot, Absolutely. but 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 Absolutely. exposed to gun violence, and they deal with how uh, I think it's about 36% uh, or 34% of them are African-American exposed to gun violence, okay? This is in the school. So if a shooting takes place in the school, it's not just the, two, it's not just the people who are shot that are impacted by this. It's also the other students in the school that are impacted, yeah. even if they are shot. They're, they're, they're traumatized. They're traumatized as well. What would you say? When, when, and that happens outside of the school as well. When oh, absolutely. students... Absolutely. Outside of the school, which the vast majority are, mm -hmm. um, there are white kids around. I'm not discounting their trauma. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They okay. Don't address, 
And, I, and I'm saying, and I'm saying it all needs to be addressed. And I'm saying when you got mass protests like yesterday, because see, it was African American students who helped organize that yesterday. They, they, it was uh, the, yesterday's march was organized by the survivors of of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. That that mark that protest you saw in Washington D.C. And when I what I'm saying is when you got mass media, you got this was international media covering this then African-Americans need to be there to push our issues also. Okay, we're out of time. We're out of time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Hey, uh, stay tuned for Pastor Mo. You listen to the African History Network show, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation of Michael M. Hotel. Visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. All right. Okay. All right, guys, we got to get out of here.